When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Here we discuss all things Black Hereford. Join me for in-depth conversations and insightful interviews relevant to your Black Hereford operation. You know how I like intentionality, and today's episode is going to fit right in with that. I sat down with Matt Spengler to talk about genetic defects, what they are, what ones really matter, and how seed stock breeders should be approaching them, both old known defects and the discovery of new ones. Let's dig in. Triple T Farms runs with the philosophy, life is good. They feel that way because they love what they do, which is building quality black Herefords. Triple T is owned and operated by Tim and Teresa Tarter, who have over 30 years of experience in the seed stock business and 15 years producing black Herefords. The focus at Triple T Farm is to provide customers with breeding stock that will increase profitability, paying close attention to all breeding and mating selections while eradicating undesirable traits. Triple T is gearing up for the annual Kentucky's Finest Sale on October 14th in Nancy, Kentucky. The sale will also stream on DV Auctions. For more information about Triple T or the sale, you can visit their website, tripletblackcattle.com, or give Tim a call at 606-305-2289. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Black Herford Chronicles. Uh, You know, there's been a lot of requests for doing some more kind of dives in with Black Herford breeders and taking the opportunity that we have with this platform to learn about other producers within the Black Herford world. So there's a program that I have followed closely on social media for a number of years, and they always do a few things that just really stand out to me in our breed. And I thought, what a great chance to bring them on. So Brennan, will you kind of introduce yourself and tell everybody about your operation and where you guys are at? Yeah. So to start off, my niece wanted me to give her a shout out. She was just playing uh, 10 and under 14 and under. I don't even remember how old they are, but softball today and she got MVP today. So shout out to my niece, Taylor. Woohoo! Um, so I am Brennan Reader. My wife, Micah, and I have Crazy Art Black Herefords in La Junta, Colorado. Um, Jennifer, as you know, you used to be a Colorado person, but you ditched us for Nebraska. So it's kind of lonely out here in Colorado. But Well, you guys can keep your, your politics and your... You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean, if I could move right now, I would. But anyway, um, we got started in the Black Herford breed in 2020, right before COVID. We started the process in 2019. Um, I grew up in it. I'm a fourth generation rancher. Uh, my granddad 
when he passed away, he left everything to my uncle. And so at that point, we kind of realized that maybe if we wanted to do this, that we needed to start our own operation. So we found a place not too far from my wife's parents' place, and that's what we ended up getting. And right away, you know, we saw that the market had thousands of Angus cattle going through our markets every week. And why be another drop in the bucket? That's what our thinking was. So we're like, what can we do to be different? My granddad loved baldies. My very first cow was a baldy. I worked, I'm pretty sure it was child labor laws should have been in place, but I worked all summer for one cow. And uh, so I was like, well, maybe I'll just buy a Hereford bull and use it on some commercial Angus and we'll do some baldies. And I was Googling and stuff and we saw um, Joe Bulls in Utah and I called Brock and talked to Brock for a little bit. And he's like, you know, if you want some, I know a guy in Kansas, Scott Case, that has 10 available. So we drove out there, met Scott, picked up our first 10. We still ran the majority Angus that first year. And, you know, I think it was the fall of 2020. The market was so bad because of COVID. We got handed it. I mean, we we got destroyed at the market. And the only reason we made the payment that year is because the 10 registered that we had. And so by 2021, sometime, we got rid of all the Angus and started focusing solely on registered cattle. So what kind of country are you in there down in Lahana? Um, the best way to look at it would be the desert. <laughs> um, High Plains Desert is technically what it's what it is. So you're running like cows per section instead of cows per acre. Pretty much right now. Uh, I'm in on a good year and this has been a really good year. It's it's 25 to 30 acres per pair on a bad year. You're looking at 40 to 60 acres a pair. Well, you guys were certainly due for a good year. So, or, you know, I mean, I feel like you guys are probably due for at least a good decade at this point. Yeah. You know, if, if it keeps up like this, this year, we were just talking, um, we wanted to move to Oklahoma and the rain out there is ridiculous. I think they said the 44 inches a year or something like that. And I think we get eight inches a year if we're lucky. Um, and this year, I think we're closer to 20 something already. Um, so it's just a drastically different year. And we were talking, if we got the kind of rain they got in Oklahoma, you'd have to take your cows off the grass because there'd be so much grass. You'd probably grow mold, you know? Right. Right now, <laughs> the canal comes through and it floods every year. And so we have like one patch of good grass every year. But this year, it's been so bad with all the rain and everything. I was joking with my uncle that I should just become a rice farmer. <laughs> Well, you know, one thing I've noticed is it's never just right. We've also been blessed with lots of rain this year, and it's been great for growing calves. But boy, putting up hay has been a giant pain. It can never be just right. We're never happy, no matter what weather we get. Oh, it's the same way down here. Uh, every time somebody cuts, it rains. Um, everybody's trying to get their hay done as quickly as possible. And, and I, I think you're going to see really high hay prices this fall. Well, I love stories of guys that, you know, have childhood memories with these cattle, grew up with baldies, because I think there's a lot of us out there that grew up knowing instinctively that the baldy was a superior animal, but, you know, struggling with the idea of how to reproduce that in a uniform way. 
where nobody's getting, you know, docked later for reds or just just really kind of narrowing that down into something that that can be mass produced. And, and that's, you know, where a lot of us come to Black Herefords in. So I love that that's where you guys come from too. I'd love to know more about what your program philosophy is. You've been building this for a couple of years and figuring out what works and, and what you want to focus on. So tell us some more about that. Okay. So my whole life, I've kind of been like a wing it kind of guy, you know, <laughs> wing it. If it, if it works great, if it doesn't work, then you go back to the drawing board and you start over. And when I first got involved, I know I've listened to some of your other podcasts and they've kind of talked about homozygous and the push for homozygous versus mm -hmm. the push for structure and uh, everything else. And when I first got started, everybody's talking homozygous. So mm -hmm. right away, I thought, you know, I need all homozygous cows. I need homozygous bulls. I want to make money. Well, the problem I was seeing is that a lot of these animals looked really good in the front quarter. But then as farther back as you get, I mean, I, I don't remember what the term that somebody else in one of your podcasts used. I can't remember what he called it, but um, he was spot on. I'm pretty sure that was Brian Decky talking about snail ass. Yes, yes, <laughs> that, that was exactly it. Um, but it, it's true. You look at some of these from the front and you're like, oh man, they look good. And then you kind of walk and get a side profile of them. And, and so, you know, I've made a lot of friendships in this, you know, Charlie Adams is a really good friend of mine, Brian Deck, he's a really good friend of mine, and I really value their input. And so for me, my operation hasn't so much changed that I've changed. It's I've kind of looked at other operations and kind of what other people are doing. And I'm kind of in a unique position because, you know, I know there's somewhat of a divide in the breed right now. And I don't really follow those kind of things. I just kind of stick to my own spot and I take what I like from one person, take what I like from another person and I combine them. And so Charlie kind of got me out of the whole homozygous thing. And so I bought a Red Bull last year, Power Broker 117 from Ernst Herford's up in uh, Greeley. And I'm loving the calves this year. So this year we're like, we need to go bigger. We need to make some sort of splash and kind of separate ourselves from everybody else. Cause like you said, in another podcast, every single year, these cattle are getting better. You look at the Royal and you see what people are doing. And I don't think it's a, if we get there, it's when we get there. So, you know, we went out and bought bar star nemesis this year, partnered on uh, that with Chad and Stephanie Mernon. And, uh, I am super excited to see his calves next year. I wish I had a remote control where I could just fast forward to it. But, <laughs> you know, after seeing him at 16 months old and comparing him to some other bulls I had on the property that were the same age, you could just see the difference. And I don't think everything that Brian and everything that Charlie and them said to me really clicked until that moment of seeing and being able to compare. And so now I don't even care if it's hetero, red, black, whatever. I just want to build that structure because once you have it, it's not hard to get homozygous after that. Well, there's a couple of things I'd love to unpack there. And the first that you touched on is the importance of getting out of your bubble. 
you know, you've got to go see some other operations. And we're so lucky to be doing this in the time that we are, because you can go see those other operations without necessarily having to travel until you're real committed to wanting to get boots on the ground. You can expand outside your bubble, expand outside the breeding lines that you've always done or the ones you've always considered very easily. And until you're able to make those comparisons, you really aren't going to stretch yourself or push yourself into that next level. So I, I think that that is really powerful advice for all breeders. And then the other thing that I feel like we're kind of maybe dancing around a little bit that I, I am excited to hear that you're looking at. You're, you've brought in this bar star bowl, and I'd imagine you're going to be making some really awesome F1s. Is that the yeah. case? Yeah. So yes. when we were in Oklahoma touring all these places, our realtor raises registered Angus. And so we were going by his house to look at one of the places and he's like, you got to stop in here and you got to check this out. So we're there touring his place. And right away, you know, I have a tendency to fall in love with or pick the highest priced animals I possibly can. <laughs> so I pick out this heifer and, oh no, there's no way we're getting rid of this heifer. And I was like, come on, you have to. They they show me her mom and everything, her, her granddam and phenomenal, phenomenal um, animals. And so I'm working on a deal right now with them. They want to cover out this year because they have, they do 100% AI. They don't have any bulls at all. So they want to cover out this year and then next year they'll consider selling. And so I'm trying to bring in some Angus and I'm trying to bring different genetics than anybody else has. And so I thought that was kind of a neat opportunity and my realtor of all people. Um, so it kind of fell into place. And yes, I, I'd love to make um, some different genetics and new bloodline F1s. And I think Nemesis would be a great one to do that with, especially if you pair him with some powerful Angus. He's got everything you want in a bull. I'm super happy with him. I'm really excited. We're getting him ready to go to uh, Nile. And then he's going to go to uh, National Western Stock Show again, which he won last year. So Chad and Stephanie are going to take him and do all that with him. And then I'll get him back next spring. But the other thing that I'm really looking forward to with him is just to use him on my existing cows because he fills a lot of those gaps that I've been looking for. He adds, well, he already has good milk and everything else, but he has excellent marbling and carcass quality traits that I was looking for. But he has explosive growth. I think he's top 1% or top 2% in all growth categories. So I'm kind of looking forward to just combining that with that CACRZ America bull, that leader son mm -hmm. that we got from Charlie Adams. And then I'm going to use that bull kind of back onto these nemesis heifers and kind of just go back and forth and see what we can produce out of it. I love the intentionality that you have when you talk about that. You know, you're not just kind of, well, you said you were a guy that likes to wing it. And that is not what I hear from you when you talk <laughs> about this. You've got a plan and a vision. And that matters. You're thinking about these breeding choices intentionally. I well, think that, I like that to helps. say I passionately wing it. <laughs> passionately <laughs> wing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think there's been a lot of debate lately about F1s. 
And I take a lot of heat for being anti-F1 and it's just not the case at all. We've got some really cool genetics, outside genetics like Nemesis that are coming into this breed. And there's some opportunities there to build some fabulous F1s and turn those into Black Herefords. I think that we're going to see some really cool things coming out of that. So I'm excited to hear about other breeders that are kind of expanding our genetic database, expanding what's available to breeders out there. I'm glad you brought that up because it's not that none of us don't like F1s. We all love F1s. Um, The problem is, is that they use up all the heterosis. Yes. And then they look better. Obviously, they look better. They're supposed to. So when you got people that come out to your place, they're looking for something specific. And then they see this F1. They're like, oh, man, that looks good. I want that one. I'm like, you just gave me a list of things you want in a bull. This bull meets none of them. He just looks good. And then can you imagine if NJW, I mean, Ned and Jen Ward have an excellent program, probably one of the top programs, in my opinion, out there. Could you imagine if they see that we start registering F1s and they're like, oh, well, we already do this anyway with some of our customers. Let's just mass produce these F1s. And then all of a sudden the market's flooded with them. And there's no way that we could compete with somebody like Ned and Jen Ward. Well, and I just don't think there'd be any longevity to that market, actually, because people would see they look pretty and they'd start throwing them, you know, your commercial guys anyway, would start throwing them on calves and they wouldn't get the consistency and they wouldn't get the heterosis power punch in those calves that they're looking for. And I think in the end, it would water down our brand, really. Yep. It's like, you know, I watch Shark Tank. I like watching Shark Tank. So I was watching Shark Tank and they were talking about um, the sports company that was on there. And they sell it like Dick's Sporting Goods and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they were, one of the sharks called it a toy. And everybody kind of flipped out on them. They're like, if you sell that at a toy store, it's going to ruin your brand. Um, and what people don't realize, I guess, or they don't think about really, is the overall, people think short term a lot of the time. And short, there's nothing wrong with thinking short term, but if you don't have a long-term goal in mind and you're just thinking short term all the time, that's exactly what's going to happen is everything's going to get watered down. And in 10, 15 years, Black Herefords are going to be just a thing of the past and they are too good to let that happen. Yes. That's what always, we are sitting on something that I think could shake up this entire industry and we all could be the early adopters of it. You know, that's a fabulous position to be in. I think we need to be careful. Yes. I talked to so many people, you know, I had some friends go through some stuff uh, with one of their kids being in a car accident. So I donated some beef to it and that person just picked up the beef and we got to talking and they own a ranch. So it was a good opportunity that somebody that actually owns a ranch won the beef and I got to talk to him and stuff. We're talking about the Black Herefords and they didn't really understand exactly how everything worked. So I was explaining it to them and they're like, so I could pick whatever cow I want out of the Angus and combine it with whatever Hereford bull I want. And I could create an F1 that I could use in a breed up program to create black Herefords and it'd be my own bloodline. And I was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're like, that right there is enough to get me to want to be involved in the black Herefords because you're not restricted. You have this giant database of animals that you can pick from and combine. And chances are nobody else has done it. 
Right. And what other breed can you do that in? You know, it's exciting. It's fun. And that that's just one thing that doesn't touch on the millions of other things that black Herefords provide that other breeds don't. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I really admire about your operation and for anybody that's not following crazy R on Facebook, you ought to. Okay, but one of the things I really like is how presentable your cattle always look. And we've done podcast episodes before about the importance of presentability, you know, and, and not putting out pictures that aren't going to do you any favors in the end. And I think you do an excellent job with that. Your cattle are always fed correctly. You know, there's nothing that, that I don't grimace when I see your stuff come <laughs> up in my scroll. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that and how important that is to you and how intentional you are or aren't with it. Maybe you're just, you know, secretly a natural and it doesn't take you any thought or time (laughs) at all. I will never get tired of telling you all about Schrader's Black Herefords out of Babtown, Missouri, where they are passionate about cattle, family, and American Black Herefords. Schrader's is a family operation where Jason and Kristen are generational producers at their Century Farm. If you listened to episode 30, you know Schrader's have a wealth of knowledge and have built an intentional program with an eye on legacy building for future generations. If you haven't checked out that episode yet, do it. I promise you'll leave understanding both Schrader's philosophy and Black Herefords better. Schrader's Black Herefords sell bulls all over the country by private treaty. They also partner with a few other breeders to offer bulls and heifers at the annual Central States Select Black Hereford Sale, held the first weekend in November down in Lebanon, Missouri. Schrader's have built their Black Herefords with the philosophy of growing maternal traits without losing focus on carcass quality. They'll be taking reservations on upcoming yearlings soon, so make sure you're in the loop on Schrader's Black Herefords. You can call Jason at 573-680-1439, find them on Facebook, or visit schradersblackherefords.com. So tell us a little bit about, about how you go about that. So it's actually really funny that you brought that up because when I first got started back in 2020, you know, I probably wasn't as aware of what I was doing or the angles and stuff like that, that you wanted to get when you're taking pictures of cattle. And it was actually Brian that pointed it out to me. And he's like, you know, I think one of the problems is, and you see this with Charlie too, is Charlie, you don't see his calves at all until he's marketing them to sell. So when you see him for the first time, they kind of take you back and you're looking at him and you're like, that's a really nice bull, you know, and I talk to Charlie every week and he'll share some stuff with me, but I'm like, man, he's holding out on me. I never saw that bull before. (laughs) And, um, and Brian was like, you know, you, you post a lot of pictures. People kind of see your stuff quite a bit and they're following along, which is great. And so they can see the development of your calves. But then once you get that bull where he's marketable, you're posting him and nobody's surprised. Um, and that surprise is kind of, the awe reaction. I mean, it's just as valuable as anything else, but I never used to really think about it when I'd take pictures and stuff. And then I'd see other people and I, I learn a lot. I, I consider myself a student of, of life and a student of everything. And so if I'm not 
talking to you in person and I'm talking on the phone, I very well might be taking notes. <laughs> um, and if I'm with you in person, when I get home, if whatever I can remember, if there's something that highlighted the conversation, I'll write it down. And, and so I see like Matt Marsh does a really good job uh, yes. posting videos of his cattle and stuff. In, in um, our defense, he lives somewhere where it's always green and gorgeous. Yeah, that's not even fair. I see <laughs> I some of these guys, like the Tennessee guys, the Georgia guys, the Kentucky, all those guys. I mean, it's yeah, not you even... guys that have it green and gorgeous year round. Shut up. <laughs> they just go outside with their with their iPhone, snap a picture, and it's it's <laughs> better than my my wife's camera. So, um, but I just watch and kind of see what people post and see what gets more likes and what gets more comments and what does well and what doesn't do well. And then when I'm out there, I guess I'm a little, you know, my subconscious is like, Hey, move to the right a little bit. You want to get the right angle. Um, it is important because like you said, there are, I don't know how many followers I have on Facebook now, but just because somebody doesn't like a post or something like that doesn't mean they don't see it. Um, so people are out there and they're seeing this stuff and they're making judgments and they're making preconceptions about you and your operation before they even meet you. So if you're putting something out on Facebook, you do need to be subconscious about it and you need to make sure that you're getting the right angles and that everything looks good because somebody shows up and they're like, Hey man, your cattle look way better than they look on Facebook. You know, I don't want them to say that to me. I want to be like, Hey, your cattle look just as good as they look on Facebook, you know? stuff like that. So you can't I think get a, a first impression back. No, you can't. And and this breed first impressions are very important because there yes. still are so many people that don't know about black Herefords. Well, I think you also do an exceptional job of feeding your cattle. And I don't know, you know, I know I want to dig in with you a little bit more about some of the equipment you use, because I know you've got some, some stuff that's exciting and enticing to me. <laughs> but your feeding program is on point. And so I just, I, I want to give a compliment where it's due. So well done. <laughs> I appreciate that. It That's also been one of those things that's been trial and error. Um, everybody's feeding programs are subjective to the location that they're in, um, whether it's the quality of hay or the kind of rations they can get from their local mills, or if they can't get anything from a local mill, what they can get from the local feed store. Um, that first year, you know, I grew up in commercial background. My granddad had what we called a Heinz 57 herd. It was just mm -hmm. whatever, Angus, Angus Limousine Cross, et cetera. And so this registered stuff was all new to me. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I had to ask a bunch of questions. I had to Google stuff and look at stuff. And that first year, those bulls, they just weren't quite where I wanted them. So I did a lot more research and talked to a lot more people. Some that I talked to, I felt like they were feeding too much. Um, everybody, you know, that saying everybody hates a fat bull, but they're sure willing to pay for one. In mm -hmm. um, our location, I don't have access to a bunch of different pastures. So sometimes I have to dry lot. Sometimes I have mm -hmm. access to pasture where I don't have to dry lot. So feet condition and hoof condition is a very important thing for me to watch out for. And so I definitely don't want to be overfeeding. So we kind of that first year, the second year, actually, we didn't creep feed at all. Um, and we had 
some animals that lost 20 to 30 pounds after weaning and stuff like that. And it took them a while to get it back. So our next year, we decided we want to try something different. I saw a few studies about it. So we put a creep feeder out 30 to 45 days in advance of weaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really helped reduce the loss of weight at weaning. And it also helped to bunk break them and get them used to the feed. We just fed a creep feed pellet, nothing special. So once we weaned them, we just started them at eight pounds and it's all creep feed. And we slowly start introducing our, our feed ration to that until we got to a point where it was just the ration and no creep feed. We cut our losses at weaning time by more than 50%. And they just, I mean, they were healthier. They didn't lose the weight. And they just seemed to hit the ground running at that point. Uh, I think the biggest thing we do is we have a true test scale under our chute. And we weigh them at least once a month. And then that lets you know, hey, I need to adjust something. Or the first time they get weighed is at branding and vaccinating. So you have the weight from you know, three, four months old, all the way up to when you wean, and then you have a wean weight uh, or a weight introduced every month after that. And you can look at their average daily gain since the first time you weighed them, or you could look at average daily gain month to month between weigh-ins and stuff like that. So if you ever see it kind of taper off or something, you know, hey, maybe I need to increase my feed ration by a little bit or, or whatnot. And so the true test scales is something and especially the data Mars um, application for the computer is a great, great tool for checking in on your average daily gain, kind of seeing where your bulls are at and how they stack up. I want to ask you a little bit about that because it ties into something else that I think you and I both feel strongly about, which is data and data collection and, and accurate data. So a scale like that is an investment for an operation. I would argue that a scale is cost of doing business if you want to be in the seed stock business. It, it's not an optional thing. But you had to make that choice, right? Like you had to decide one day that in order to do this, you were going to have to put some money down on a scale so you could do it right. Would you say that was worth it? So for me, like you kind of touched on, it's not even a choice. It's, it's a responsibility. Um, you know, I started out using a, one of those little crane scales thing. As the calves got bigger and my arms got tired, mm-hmm. I decided to get a, uh, one of those cradles that goes behind the side by side or behind your truck and it has a load bar on it. Um, that's super easy. Cause even if it's a hundred pound calf, you can still scoop it up real quick, set it on that, and then it's not going anywhere. So you have time to take a DNA sample, tag, whatever else you're going to do. And it puts less stress on the calf and it puts less stress on your body. Um, there's just no way that you can do that with wean calves or with your calves. I mean, I'm not strong enough by any means. So If you, if you do try, will you get Mike at a video of that for us? Yeah, I'll record it for you. But... <laughs> A scale of some sort, whether it's before your shoe, after your shoe, under your shoe, you absolutely have to have it for weaning and yearling weights. It, it's not something 
I mean, you can't use calf tape on a yearly bull. Um, you shouldn't use calf tape at all. But data is very important and accurate data is important because I'll look at um, birth weights, vaccination weights, weaning weights, and check-in weights for my current bulls and compare it to the last three years. And then I can group them based on age, based on sire, based on whatever I, I feel like grouping them on. So then I could also go back and look, hey, what's this bull's calves doing over the last two years versus what's the new ones doing or vice versa. And I can compare different years and sires. And it gives you a bunch of different tools to see how the performance on EPDs compares to real life performance. Well, and when you've got intentional goals set, like you clearly have for your operation, there's no way to measure your success in that. There's no way to even decide what goal you should set to begin with if you don't have accurate information up front. Yeah, that's that's spot on. Um, every decision you make revolves around data, whether you think about it or not. You look at a cow, you look at your EPDs, well, somebody inputted the data for that cow and, and what she has for EPDs and and going back, you know, however many generations of data. Um, if you're inputting inaccurate data, the person you're hurting the most is yourself for one, but you're also hurting your cow and her EPDs. You're hurting other breeders who might want to use that cow or use the offspring from that cow. And you're hurting the whole organization as a whole. Um, you see it a lot. I know I'm not going to mention names, but this is Angus. Well, he does Angus balancers, Charlay's. He does a bunch of different things. Um, I have a friend that was his herd manager and who quit because of it, but they sell 90% of their stuff to commercial guys. So they just make up birth weights, they just make up data, they just put it in, and they're actually one of the top 10 seed stock producers in the United States. Um, if they have registered bullets going to go to a registered breeder, they will actually collect DNA for parentage testing. But if it's going to a commercial guy, they just write down a bull. I mean, that is a very dishonest thing to do. And when you're a breeder of that caliber, that large, you're putting so much inaccurate data in the system that you can have a direct impact on the breed as a whole. And I know none of us are, I'm not big enough to have that impact. You know, I only run 30 to 40 head. But if you think about it, everything starts small. And if you get 10 breeders that are doing that, that are smaller, you're going to end up making a bigger impact than you realize. And calf tape is probably my biggest concern. Uh, we've kind of talked about that before, and it's been on Facebook multiple times. But, you know, there's multiple studies out there on calf tape where they're, using the scale on all their calves. And then they're using calf tape for comparisons. They have this whole chart on um, Excel and you can look at it. I can find it somewhere, post it to my Facebook. I think I've already done it before, but the calf tape will be plus or minus 20. So if you're selling Cavanese bulls and they have a 70 pound birth weight, but I know that you're using calf tape, personally, I'm not going to buy it because in my mind, I'm like, is that calf 70 pounds? Is that the one time that the calf tape was accurate? Or is it 75 pounds? Is it 90 pounds? How heavy is it really? 
or even the other direction. I don't want a 50 pound calf either. Exactly. So I think there's enough evidence out there to support the fact that it's inaccurate that in my opinion, it should be a banned method of birth weight data collection. Or at the bare minimum, I would love to see it marked when you're entering weights. You know, there should at the bare minimum be a box that you have to check saying that this data was gathered with a calf tape so that I know how much reliability to weigh it with. Right. And kind of preparing for this interview, my wife was asking me questions last night and we were talking about it a little bit. And, you know, I was like, I can't really see any reason why people would use calf tape. And then she kind of brought it up. Well, maybe there's people that have physical disabilities where they're not able to pick up a, a calf or the calves are too big or they can't afford it. And the can't afford it thing kind of bothered me a little bit because, you know, we started from scratch, 100% from scratch. I know how expensive everything is and how hard it is for young people to get into it if they don't inherit and other things like that. And a crane and a sling, you can pick up for under $100. Yeah. It, it's a very cheap, effective way to accurately measure birth weights. As far as if you're physically unable to lift a calf or do something like that, there are some other options out there. Um, I just don't think as a breed as a whole, we should really focus on calf date and we should more focus on something that's proven to be uh, accurate. Well, and I would argue, you know, the whole reason that I am willing to spend more money on a registered bull versus you know, just going out to a neighbor and saying, hey, why don't you raise up a, a bull calf for me this year? And I'll pick them up. And, and that's what I'll throw on my commercial cows is because I know I know what I'm getting into, right? I've got data to back it up. I've got an idea of what he's going to produce. I've got verified pedigrees, right? And what all of that is coming from is the data that's been entered in the system. And that's what I am agreeing to when I'm willing to pay a premium for this bull. If you expect to get purebred dollars, to get registered seed stock dollars for your bulls, you're going to have to put some money down up front to get that data that separates them from the commercial industry. And it, to me, it's just the cost of doing business. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. And I think it would be a beneficial thing if we had like a welcome new breeders page and kind of had a list of different things on there that are basically necessities and kind of have different options listed. So people can see, Hey, what's the upfront cost? Because there is a more upfront cost than just getting 10 registered cows and a registered bull. Um, we spent the extra money on that true test HD five T scale for the shoot because it had such a higher weight capacity that it could handle multiple different shoots to be put on it but its accuracy is spot on. And we calibrate it before every time we weigh anything, mm -hmm. we recalibrate it. Um, one time we didn't, it was off by, I don't know how many pounds. So we're like, we need to do this every time. And I think that one requires like 200 pounds to accurately calibrate, but it's, it's on within, I think half a pound. Um, so half a pound is not going to change a bull from cavities to non-cavities. So I'm happy with the half a pound variable, you know, but 
that I have people that show 4-H and stuff that are like, hey, can I come out and use your scale? And I'm like, yeah, it's no problem. Um, it's a great tool and I think everybody should have one. And I would suggest true test if anybody is looking for one just because it comes with that livestock app that you can put on your computer and they have multiple different scale heads where you can put in their identification on your phone and as soon as you get home that data is automatically moved to your computer through your wi-fi and so when you're ready to go look at it it's already all on there and it's just a great tool I'm taking a break to make sure that you've heard of Walters Cattle Farms down in Kentucky. Walters Cattle is home to Robert and Sandy Walters, who have been long-standing supporters of all things American Black Hereford. With legacy bloodlines and a commitment to the breed, they really are an operation and frankly, a wonderful set of people that you should be acquainted with. Similarly, their muscling and depth are traits your cattle should be better acquainted with. You can find Walters Cattle Farms on Facebook or give Robert a call at 270-832-1180. Well, here's where I'll make a plug for extension. If you are truly in a place where, you know, you you can stomach forking out the money for a scaled away calves, okay, at birth, but, but you're not quite prepared to commit to a full scale for yearling or weaning weights, at least call your extension office because they can get you in contact if they don't have one. A lot of extension offices actually have portable scales that you can rent and you go and pick them up, take them out to your place, calibrate them. You've got actual data right there. If they don't have one, they know somebody who does and you might have to haul them somewhere to get the weights, but at least you're getting weights. There's no reason to not collect that data accurately. You cannot look at a cow. You cannot look at a weaning calf. You cannot, I mean, I can't tell you how many we've ran through at weaning and yearling time. And we all sit here and guess on their weights. And I've never got one exact. (laughs) You cannot look and guess. You have to get actual numbers. That's why I like to do that. The, the giveaways on Facebook where you post a picture, post a video and you ask people to guess. And it's really fun when the people who aren't really involved in the cattle industry throw out guesses and you're like, I wish he weighed that much. <laughs> um, yes. I yeah. wish this wean calf <laughs> weighed 780 pounds. <laughs> but it is, it is so much fun to do that. But yeah, it's just by looking at something there are some people out there that are are pretty good at it. Um, I'm not one of them. Um, that's why I spent the money on a scale, but, uh, it is interesting. I think Brian is, he's a good one. Um, he could probably tell you within 10, 15 pounds on a mature bull. He's, it's just crazy. I always joke with him about if I ever win the lottery. He's going to be the head acquisitions manager for my ranch. (laughs) I can hear his head growing right now. Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> he, he's a pretty modest guy though. He's one of those guys that he does really well and uh, he's really hard on himself and doesn't, he doesn't really show things unless he's happy with them, but he's got such high standards. Yes. I look at some of the stuff he's like, I'm not happy with. I'm like, well, I'll take her. You know? <laughs> um, I, I like could her. be happy with her. <laughs> yeah. Brian's a great guy. 
So what are you most excited about in your program? You guys are growing. You've got big plans, big ideas. What most excites you right now? What most excites me is that I'm a really competitive person and this breed is doing outstanding. I mean, I watch some of these sales and I see some of the animals go through. I see the Royal, I see what people post on Facebook. And just since I've gotten involved in 2020, it's grown so much in the quality of the animals. And so what excites me the most is just the competitiveness in me. Because I want to be the best. You know, I'm a small guy, we're small ranch, and I don't have a ton of money. So I can't outspend people. So I have to try to outbreed people. And that takes patience and time. And I realize that. And, and Nemesis has me super excited. He's a phenomenal bull. America's a phenomenal bull. I'm really excited about the the two bulls I got going right now. And so right now I'm just trying to kind of downsize my herd a little bit and kind of focus on the best cows that I have and to really push them and to push them forward in the breeding program that I have. And so every year I always look forward to seeing the calves and I want to see an improvement. And every year I have so far, and that just, that's the most exciting thing out there is making all these decisions now and then next spring, getting to see them be born and see whether they work out or not. It's just the ranching is just a lifestyle. I don't think people quite understand. Uh, my uncle used to tell me growing up, oh, I want to be a rancher. It's a hard lifestyle. It's just, it's not for everybody. Well, he's worked for himself his entire life and he doesn't understand what it's like to go work for the railroad and feel like they own you. And it makes it really hard to juggle both things. And so I'm just excited because every year I get closer to being able to where I can ranch full time and get away from the railroad. And the only way I can do that right now with the price of land in Colorado going up and the amount of land you need to run stuff in Colorado is to get better quality, to get better numbers, better averages for my sales. And every year I get to just get closer, closer. So that's what I'm probably most excited about is just the competitiveness of the breed. But yeah, at the same time, super competitive, but everybody feels like family. It's it's crazy. You like at the Royal that first year, you see the other breeders there and they're like I'm not gonna say they hate each other, but the competitiveness was so much that they were unfriendly towards each other. And the Black Herford people are over there playing cornhole and drinking beer together and having a good time and just hanging out. And it was it was more like a, a family reunion type thing. And and I just love that about the breed. Well, I love that you are excited by the pressure, that you don't shrink away from it. I think that in the end, people who thrive with that pressure and, and want to rise to the occasion under it. Those are the people that find great success. So I, I think that you've got a really exciting future ahead of you in this breed. If I know that you've got some stuff available right now, I, I want to give you the opportunity to make a, a non-shame, we'll say shameless, shameless plug. Tell us everything that you've got available, what you've got going, where people can take a look. 
Well, they can take a look at on my Facebook page or the Registered American Black Hereford Cattle Facebook page. Um, That's a mouthful. I think I have, somebody ought to work yeah, on that. Somebody should shorten that. We should have an abbreviation for it. Like ABHA, <laughs> but something different. <laughs> I think Before I have there nine available. Running it. Oh, well, I don't know who runs it now. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm not falling into that trap. Nice one. <laughs> I think I have nine available right now. Um, I go back and forth because some of these I really don't want to get rid of. Out of the original <laughs> 10 that I got from Scott Case, I have eight of them left. And a couple of those are ones that I'm getting ready to get rid of. Um, so what I'm hearing here is not, that you're a hoarder. I've been told that I'm a bull poor and everything else because I like to collect stuff. I mean, <laughs> Every year, even though I have bulls I like, I always look and then I'm like, oh man, I could use him in like a couple of years, probably. Maybe I should go ahead and get him now. Um, it's just one of those things where if you see quality, you don't want to pass it up, even though you don't have room for it. it it's, you just make room for it. And then you get to the point where you're like, man, I need to get rid of some stuff. <laughs> um these cows, there's there's nothing against them. Um, they just don't fit the EP profiles or the structural profiles of the bulls I'm trying to use because I'm really trying to use the bulls that complement the cows and kind of fill the gaps that I'm missing. And these cows you're, are really you're good intentionally cows. winging it. <laughs> yeah, I'm intentionally winging it. I am. I, I usually do pretty good. Um, I haven't been fired from the railroad yet, and I've done that for ten years. So. <laughs> Uh, hopefully my boss doesn't listen to this, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Charlie, for instance, when he calls, he's not calling. Sometimes the word calling is, it feels like it's an insult to the cattle and none of these would be calls in my opinion. They're going to go out and they're going to do really good in somebody else's program. They've just kind of slipped away from what i'm moving to go towards um genetically speaking or phenotypically speaking um or maybe the bulls i have just don't complement them the way i want to and i have something else out there that is going to complement them but the biggest key factor for me is just because it's good this year doesn't mean we're going to have a good rain season next year and i was getting to the point where i was going to have to cut down by probably 15 if it wouldn't have been so rainy this year. So it's really hard um, making these decisions, especially when you get attached. I probably get way too attached to my animals. We spend a lot of time out there with them. I I would argue and put mine up against anybody else's for docility. Um, there's only one that you can't really pet or feed or anything like that. And that's that B108 cow that uh, came from, I think she originated at Rod Garman's place, Ground Zero. And then Charlie had her and she's done some really good things, but she's kind of a jerk to me. But <laughs> she's so good that she gets to stay. It could be just you, you know? I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've been called the cow whisperer a couple of times. Um, people come out to the ranch and they see the bulls I have for sale. And my kids are out there in the trail walking and one will be laying down and they'll just go hop on his back. And these guys are looking at me like, really? Yeah, yeah, they're they're legit. I sold a bulldog guy in Kansas and he sends me pictures all the time out there in the pasture brushing the bull. And <laughs> I'm kind of deciding it's like, 
did you buy them for a pet that you could brush or did you buy them for for breeding because i haven't actually seen like any pictures of him with cows I'm like, <laughs> what's going on um but that's one thing we kind of didn't talk about earlier and i'm kind of getting off track from promoting myself a little bit but um docility is huge those angus we started with i had to hire help or ask for help to get them in to work them the black herefords mike and i work them by ourselves most of the time um with the railroads new policies and stuff i only get two days off a month so i can't really use weekend days like i used to to get my brother-in-laws and everybody else out there to help so Mike and I'll just do it on a Tuesday because I just happen to be off. And there is so many key traits to black herfers and what they provide to commercial cattlemen or just any cattlemen in general. But docility is huge. And I've I've been around docile animals before, but I've never been around this docile of animals. Sometimes they could be too docile. So um, we had that today, actually. Black herfer docility bit me in the butt. We had a photographer out because we're working on some things and we're, we just started calving this week. So we've got our Angus and black Hereford cows all in the calving pasture together. And when you're trying to get pictures, you need just a little bit of flighty. Having these black Hereford cows that just want to come up and sniff because they're curious and have zero concern it's harder to get a picture that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You almost need somebody out there in a green screen suit, like holding some cake in the air or something to get yes. them to kind of cooperate. It's like, could you pretend to be a little more Angus for just, just this morning? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I like my uncle, for instance, he has a buyer that wants solid black calves and so I can't even convince my uncle to buy a bull for me right now because he's got a buyer that wants solid black. And I was like, well, you know, I do have two solid black bulls this year. Um, maybe you can pick up one of those. But uh, the docility, I, I remember when I was growing up, he was trying to tag a calf or do something with the calf and he got run over and broke a bunch of ribs and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, with the black Herefords, it seems like you go out there to the calf, they almost get their calf up and bring it to you and like, hey, here's my calf, tag it. But then you get a dog out there or something and they still have that, that motherly instinct to protect, you know, they just, it's almost like they recognize you and they kind of know, Hey, this is a tradition. This is what's going on. He's not going to hurt it. He's just here to do some things and then I'll have my calf back. Um, and so I know a lot of people kind of wonder about that. If they're too docile, do they still have that motherly fighting instinct to them to protect their calves? If coyotes or whatever predators you got come up. But I can tell you that my cows do not like dogs and they will destroy a dog if it gets anywhere close to the calves. But that docility is still there for people. And I think that's a key factor, uh, especially out here with all the coyotes we have. I can't shoot them fast enough. Well, and it's something that I used to take for granted when we first got into Black Herefords. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but everybody kept talking about docility. And I, you know, I've spent enough time around 4-H kids and, and people that are, are working on animals in the show ring to see that docility can be taken too far. 
it can be dangerous if you have a bull who is too comfortable with you. And so it really worried me. And the more time I spent with Black Herefords, the more I realized that's not what we're talking about here. We aren't talking about making these things pets. There is a, a perfect level of docility that actually is quite safe to be around. And I think we've done a really good job with that as a breed. That's that's very good. My uncle always says, are they cattle or are they pets? And yeah. I never want people to classify them as a pet because at the end of the day, they are an animal. And if you're out there assuming, hey, this cow's always been good. I can brush her. I can do all this stuff with her. She's never going to hurt me. And then that one time you turn your back and you're at least expecting it, you're going to get hurt. Um, or like in the trailer, I see a lot of people go into a trailer and mm-hmm it's a docile animal. So they're not paying as much attention Then they end up getting hurt. And you always got to keep your guard up no matter how docile the animals are because they are animals at the end of the day. And so I'm right there with you on that. Uh, I joke about them being pets, but they are never in my mind, an actual pet. And they are always given that respect that they deserve. And my guard's always up when I want think of docile animals. I want animals that, You walk through the pasture, they're not flighty. You can walk through them. You can really get a good inspection of them, make sure everything's good on them. And then when you're working them, they're easy to work. They're not trying to jump fences and stuff like that. You know, that's docility in my mind. And that's about as far as it really should go. Um, Yeah, I don't want something in my pocket, but if they'll self-load in the chute, beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, I remember my grandma had a, uh, a bottle calf that eventually got up to about a thousand pounds. And you would not go in the corral with it because it thought it was a little calf. Still. Right. And you get run over quick. Um, so there, there is, you got to have mutual respect with the animals and re- just remember that they still are animals because they can be very dangerous when you're not expecting it. Well, one more time, Brennan, give us your contact info and where people can dig in to what you guys have going a little more. So the best way to reach me probably is through the Facebook. Um, I have a website, but I've only ever had one person say, hey, I saw your website. I Uh, agree with you. It is so hard to decide if a website is even worth it anymore. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the guy from Washington that came out, he drove all the way out from Washington to pick up a bull a couple months ago. And he's like, you know, I I was looking at your webpage. I really liked your webpage. And I told him, I was like, you're the first person that's ever mentioned my webpage. <laughs> you know, 95% of sales and everything else is through Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a few through TikTok every year of all places. But um, so you can find me at Crazy Hour Black Herefords on, on uh, Facebook. You can find me at Black Herefords on TikTok. Yeah, I stole that so nobody else could. So anytime somebody looks up a Black Hereford on TikTok, they find my page. Um or you can call me at 719-928-2366. I'm always available to talk. Um, I probably talk too much. Uh, people call me and they, they want to talk cattle. I'll talk all day. So, but the easiest well, if you're in the market right purpose. now, if you're in the market right now, take a look at what he's got for sale because there's some quality animals right there that are going to really improve someone's program. Well, and don't forget, just because I'm out here in Colorado on my little island and everybody else is out there east for the most part, 
I do deliver, I can deliver, um, and it's very affordable deliveries. And if I'm not able to do it, we have ways through friends and stuff to get them out to where you're at. Um, yep. The black Herford pipeline is real. Yes, it is. Uh, there's so many people out there wanting to help. Um, it's, it's unreal. Uh, I absolutely love this breed and the people in it and the community that we have going. And it's just one of the best things I've been a part of. I truly enjoy it. Well, thank you for giving us so much of your time today, Brandon. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Hereford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 